right. Yeah. So why why did you want to interview me? Why did I want to interview Yeah, you? what were you thinking about? Because, I don't know, to me, you seem like a mad genius, you know? Do you really think so? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we were talking earlier, you are talking about doing the real estate development, right? Mm-hmm. And then the robots and the video games and then the... And then uh, my dad was telling me how you made, like, a robot that, like, fucking... I don't remember, but it was pretty crazy. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm just. And then I also see like how you like dissect jujitsu as well. Mm. Like you'll just like the questions that you'll ask, like Ryan and everything. It's like extremely detailed, and it's extremely hard to follow. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's because it's so like it comes from such like a deep, like analytical place. You know, that's mm. why. I don't think it's because of like the way you like. Um. Uh, I don't think it's the way you say it. I think it's mm-hmm. the way that the the depth in which you like you're thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, what what's in your head? I want to know. Like, mm-hmm. uh, even you're talking about like I was like, how do you handle so many things at once? And then you know you're like, mm-hmm. I make a rough schedule, and then I just like I let the muse talk. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like. What what's behind that? You know? mm. So that's me. Okay. Do you want to start there? Do you want me to go into that part, or where where do you want to start? Let's go. This is this is for you. Okay. Into it. Yeah. The uh, yeah. Maybe I'll start with the maybe the jujitsu thing. Yeah, I'm aware that I ask my questions are horrible in terms of if someone <laughs> else is listening to them. <laughs> but it is true. It's because I the problem is. Yeah. Uh, the best questions are if you can a- ask the right question, you're probably already close to the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're really confused about something, it's yeah. really hard to articulate why you're confused. Because if you can yeah. get the closer you can get to the right question, the closer you are to the answer. But like, uh, <clears throat> so like those like ridiculous questions in jujitsu are where like, I found a chunk that feels just so murky to me. I can't yeah. even figure out why I'm confused. Like I've, <laughs> I've tried yeah. maybe like 10 different mm. iterations of that thing. And each time I get uh, more confused at like why it's failing me. And so that's usually why like my question is yeah. so horrible. It's because yeah. I'm like, you know, there's the, I, I think maybe there's like a five in my mind, there's like maybe five different, uh answers to 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 the general idea of what i'm confused about uh Mm. but um i wouldn't even know which one to ask because they none of them are higher i haven't found one that's a higher priority to ask yet Uh, so yeah i might have just made you even more confused but uh uh, but yeah so anyways yeah that's my that's a tricky thing but Mm. when i have time to actually think about stuff i try i i try to get to a, a, a simpler question or mm. whatever and then yeah. uh, then I know okay I'm, I might be mm. closer to an answer here because then uh, you'll be able to like eliminate different I can eliminate uh, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but like the the hardest questions or the cra- crappiest cl- questions in class are where like in my mind I 
if I can just get that, it's sometimes it's the essence. I don't even need the mm-hmm. answer of like, should my leg yeah. be here? I'm trying to get to the essence of like, uh, maybe sometimes uh, that's too far into the answer. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm not even there yet. I'm yeah. like at the why, why uh, <clears throat> mm. before I grab the leg, would I squat or something? Yeah. Uh, I might be at that stage that I'm still so confused uh, uh, when I try to squat for example i'm like this i feel really off balance here why what uh, i can't even get to the <laughs> leg part <laughs> uh so yeah anyways yeah that, that's jujitsu so it's like a uh so when you go like the essence of it of course like mm-hmm. there's many many different like you look at things and like at a at a kind of like a very microbial level mm-hmm. i would say probably that there's probably so many like little factors that you're factoring in mm-hmm. that you like almost have to capture like the essence of it because yes. like, the logical part of it is like too far beyond or like, yeah, extinct. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's what I'm trying to convey in my questions is like, okay, I can't ask the question I mm-hmm. want, but there's an essence of the question I want. And if, if if Ryan or someone can even just give me a clue yeah. as to like the essence, I might be able to come back with the real question. Yeah. But I have to go mm-hmm. test the essence of what they're saying first. Cause like, for example, like I think I've asked how to do the floating pass maybe <laughs> 10,000 times. Okay. And each time I get a, uh-huh. more or less the same description back. Mm-hmm. But like, as I'm seeing it, I realize one new thing that I wasn't doing right. Yeah. Uh, or in terms of the way that that person is showing. And then like, I'm like, okay, so I need to be leaning like 75% to my right. Like little things like that where like, they're not going to say that, but like, I have to like see them do it again and notice yeah. it and think to myself, okay, maybe that's the thing I'm missing mm-hmm. because the, I feel like structurally, if you look, it's like, I'm trying to do the same thing. And in my head, I'm like, if you took a picture, I'm doing the same mm-hmm. physical thing but I definitely don't feel like I'm doing what they're right. doing to me. Right. So some, something's missing and yeah. I can't quite get why. So sometimes I have to like re-ask and then I get closer and closer to like, oh, like I'm not humping forward enough while leaning forward or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's that, that simple or like, um, this is the place where I should be bailing. Mm-hmm. This isn't the place where I should try to keep it or yeah. like little things like that where I'm like, I'm not exactly sure why it's failing, but there's something there that's failing. And I, yeah. yeah. Is there between like mechanical understanding versus the, mm-hmm. like the practical? Yeah. The practical strategy yeah. of it. Like, yeah. yeah. So it seems that you like kind of take something and then go work on it mm-hmm. and, and, you know, come back, wh- whichever size of the drawing board, you know, mm-hmm. come back, go to the drawing board go mm-hmm. back experiment with it and go back to the drawing board how much mm-hmm. of that is like in like because to me as an engineer i mm-hmm. would assume that that's like an everyday thing that's, that's what i do every process. day yeah that's what i do yeah. for all my projects as well because mm-hmm. i i play with it i try to present it which mm-hmm. is kind of the same thing as like using jujitsu live it's like mm-hmm. okay i've kind of drilled it with someone and then now or like so i've made something I've played it with with it myself, and I feel like I'm at a place where this should be, this should be working. And then I go try it out, and I'm like, this isn't working. <laughs> it's the same thing yeah. with like I told you. It's like it's so hard to explain all the different projects I've worked on because it's like 
some last for only like a week. Mm-hmm. Like I put everything I had into making a demo and it, let's say it might've only taken a week to get to a place where I've made it. I feel like maybe this has merit. And then I test it like with jujitsu, I go live, I share it with someone. And then like reality hits me. I'm like, oh my God, they're not doing with it anything that I thought that they would be doing with it. Yeah. And now like I have to go back and think like, where the heck did I go wrong? Um, and sometimes, and that, that's where it's like, same with jujitsu and the engineering part, especially if you're making something really new, um, is that it's like, <clears throat> is that you have to be really honest with yourself of mm-hmm. like, is this actually working? Cause you know, I think yes. there could be yeah. parallel. I'll try to keep drawing parallels to jujitsu just for the purpose of, of, I think it, it may, maybe mm-hmm. makes for, for a good one-to-one is this like, if I, uh, <clears throat> if, if, uh, if someone, if, if someone uses the thing I made mm-hmm. and then they're using it in the, in a way I didn't intend, that might be, uh, that might, that might tell me it's not that it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's that I haven't made it in a way where they can use it the way I want it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have to go back, fix it, try to get it to the point where they can use it the way I want it and then go back. And then if then they use it again, they use it the way I want it. And then it's still shit. Then I have to be able to truly say, okay, this is, this is actually shit. Even if, even if, but I have, but you first have to be honest about like, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. Did they use it the way I intended and it's still shit? Or did I not make it in a way where they can use it in the way I intended? Um, and then sometimes it's like, did I, um, did, did I even come in with the right, uh, am I even solving the right thing like for that person? Like yeah. they might be using it the way I intended. They might've said, that they wanted something like that. But then once they use it, mm-hmm. they they had to get to the stage where they used it to realize, oh, I actually, this isn't exact, this isn't what I needed at all. <laughs> yeah. I needed like this yeah. thing that's like, mm-hmm. maybe had some pieces that were useful and sometimes zero pieces that were useful. Okay. And then that's where I was talking about, you gotta kill the babies. It's like, you gotta <laughs> like, okay, I did it. And mm-hmm. the other part is knowing, which is kind of more of the art, it's hard to kind of explain, is knowing if you've talked to the right people about it and enough of the right people. Because you might get feedback from one person who's just a troll and mm-hmm. like they wouldn't like yeah. anything, even if it does serve them, even if they are in the market that you're interested in. And then some people are the opposite of that. They're like always positive yeah. and they're in the market. They're always willing to try new things and whether or not it, it's definitely going to work. They're willing to investigate more than normal people about whether it will work. And then there's the majority of the people that are kind of in between that are like, I'll use it only if it has merit. Cause I don't have time to like, yeah, go in between. And like that, I would say that formula works for consumer products like an energy drink. Mm-hmm. And it also works for um, like, real estate products, which is like you're selling to businesses or whatever. The, yeah. They're both, the customer is really quite similar, even with a video game. It's like, it, are you willing to play that game rather than your favorite game? 
If not, yeah. then I didn't serve you the way you thought you wanted to be served with mm-hmm. with that game. And then same same. Uh, so I don't know if I'm making sense here, but no. that that's yeah. like a that's one of the kind of I. I like to say is like I try to get an uh, feedback from someone mm-hmm. that's like a negative Nancy, but in the market, a positive Nancy that's in the market, and then the average. And generally speaking, I take the average person's the most serious, mm-hmm. the, the the most serious of the. Yeah. Uh, in order to decide, is this a winner? Should I kill it, and should I move on, or should I make some small to big adjustment to mm-hmm. keep trying in that area? So you're kind of looking at like, uh, so it's like so you're looking at like, obviously like there's different things that you make. So it's like you can also be like individualized, or it can be like throughout oh, like, mass groups. Yeah, yeah, mass groups with like mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of data points. So mm-hmm. how do you like? Because I know people like even can be like dishonest, mm-hmm. like even like mm-hmm. like. The person who's like overly positive, they're like, right. I don't want to offend, you know. Mm-hmm. That's you. the hardest part, yeah. Or they're like, you know, the troll or, you know, the average person. They're like, eh, you know, and they might mm-hmm. do this or that or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you like pinpoint that? So that, I was saying there's kind of a muse that's like for development of like deciding, like, let's say I'm going to. If I'm making something, which thing am I going to work on today? Mm-hmm. Like, what piece am I going to advance today? Or if I'm working on a brand new product, which is the new thing I'm going to make, for example? If I'm in that mindset, which is kind of like the mm, artistic design mi- mindset of like, what am I going to make and then sit down and make it? Yeah. Um, that muse is like, <clears throat> is like a kind of design muse. And then there's a, now I'm going to implement what I thought mm-hmm. and that's almost a slightly different muse which is like tell me how to do it mm-hmm. one is tell me what to do one is tell me how to do it and then there's a third one which is tell me what are people thinking that's like a third muse which is almost like the sales muse and yeah. like that one's like a different thing it's like you're trying to literally read minds the best you can mm-hmm. because it's it is really hard to you can't you can't go by what people say. You you kind of have to go by what people do. And a little bit of what people say is definitely good for um, for for deciding if you're going to decide to do something. But yeah. once you've done it, you have to go by what they do and no longer what they say. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't built it, you have to go by what they say. If you've built it, you have to go by what they do. And you, you got to ignore what they say because people are going to say all kinds of stuff. I mean, we have a customer that's like every time we talk to them, they're like, man, this is incredible, blah, blah, blah. But they're not ordering more. They're not mm-hmm. like um, they're not going out of their way to market the, the product to their customer base. And so their actual actions aren't mm-hmm. uh, aligning with their with their words, which which means over time. I just have to understand to put them in the uh, mm. super positive Nancy column and and uh, look for a different customer, uh, hopefully find one more in the middle yeah. to give me a guidepost of are we doing the right thing uh, now uh, and kind of put that person to the side, which is tough yeah. uh, because especially with an ego, I mean, same with like jujitsu, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you could always 
face someone that you can easily do stuff on or something. Um, but you won't really know, could you actually do that against someone else that might know how to stop it? And it's kind of the same way. It's like, okay, this person is someone that will keep saying yes, but I have to remove them, even though it might feel good to hear them say yes. I need to find other people and get to a no and then profile. What is that no? And why is that no? Uh-huh. And then dig deeper. And that's same way I do in jujitsu too. Is like I get to even with like I was saying, like floating passwords, which is the same thing I do. I get to a position. I'm like, I want to make sure I can do this position. I know like almost everything about it. And, you know, I'll take it. And then it's a yes over here. And then I take it over here and I'm like, looking for a no looking for someone that like forces it to not work and then i have to go back and then say is this position shit am i doing it wrong or is there something i'm not thinking about that can pull them into like the average column um to uh, um, and so on and because and then there's also some people that like they have an answer to that thing and you might say okay that answer is so far beyond my capacity to solve that answer, which puts them in like the super negative column. But there might be a huge group of people that I can like learn from mm-hmm. and then and still win, like um, learn from and get better and then eventually take that data and information and try to bring it back and see if I can get this negative Nancy into the average column using all the information I learned from this other group. And that's same with like the same with like jujitsu. It's like, okay, maybe there's like a negative Nancy that can always stuff some specific thing. Mm-hmm. And it may not make sense for me to only focus on solving that particular, um, that particular uh, answer mm-hmm. because there may be, so many more uh answers that i can solve that eventually i'll learn why i don't have the capacity to solve that one at some point down the road for Mm -hmm. example but sometimes it's like that's the only if that's the only if like these positive are all working all the averages are working and only the negative nancy is not working Mm -hmm. at that point you might want to figure out okay it how valuable is it to solve that one niche because now you're only left with one thing so you could potentially just solve that Mm because now there's only one thing left to solve so that's kind of the balance is you want to focus on the majority yeah uh, when you're making something but you can't solve everybody's problems so sometimes you have to just say okay Mm -hmm. for that thing sometimes it is just that answer just shows you can't force that place you have to come up with a another thing and they may come back on board down the road or mm-hmm. they get in the world of business sometimes they get forced yeah. to have to uh join because everyone yeah. else joined uh, even if they are negative about it mm-hmm. um but even though you can't solve everybody's problems you also stated that like the no's are more profound than the yeses yeah they're, mo- they're the most important yeah. because i think mm-hmm. mm, there's a lot of language that I'm probably using because I've been so into the entrepreneurship world yeah. that I don't, some some buzzwords are like, mm-hmm. are just things I always hear. So sometimes I don't know if they yeah. they mean the same thing to, I mean, to you. But. Yeah, or, or they mean, but one buzzword yeah. is like mm-hmm. in that community is called fail fast. So it's like mm-hmm. a, there's a mantra that some people use, which is fail fast. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's kind of right. 
uh, in this, but uh, some people take that too far to an extreme where yeah. they'll fail fast by spending money yeah. in an area that they didn't do that systematic check mm-hmm. on did the positive average or negatives yeah. uh, where do, where do you stand? And so I think there's a way to fail fast smart and a way to fail fast dumb. And I think that is simply fail fast with the least amount of money. Uh, is the is the best way to fail, fail fast. fast for free yeah fail fast for free <laughs> don't fail fast with someone else's money mm-hmm. uh, uh that's the that to me is the caveat i have for yeah. fail fast that a lot of people think oh i need to like spend like all the money that's come in mm-hmm. and then when i'm out of money that means i failed but yeah. you can find fail markers way before you run out of your money yeah. and that's what i think it's important to do is find the mm-hmm. nose as fast as possible yeah. and then uh solve them uh so failing fast isn't just failing <clears throat> quickly it's also like going into like i'm going to guess multiple different ventures mm-hmm. at a lot of the times the same time and mm-hmm. then figuring out what's working right now mm-hmm. like if you're looking for like you know uh next like expediture to you know go go along i'm sure you'll like even like uh, exploratory studies in college, you know, mm-hmm. take multiple classes. Mm-hmm. I fo- failed these two classes. Okay, so I like now mm-hmm. I like speech. That's exactly right. I yeah. actually think that's exactly it. Yeah. Especially, there's times where people get lucky in life. There's mm-hmm. people get lucky in life in the way, uh, and it, it can be a blessing and a curse. It's lucky, and mm-hmm. there's a. Uh, let me start by the theoretical lucky. There's a theoretical lucky, which is uh, your, and almost all these luckies are from work, like really hard work. The only luck part is the mental part. So sometimes you get really lucky and you just know what you want to do. Like Mm -hmm. some people just like, they started playing the piano. Their parents happened to want them to play the piano. They happened to find out they love to play the piano. Mm -hmm. They tried other things. But the piano is the only thing they want to do. Well, like, it's quite fortunate if you found you only love to play piano and you happen to be have connections around you that are really great to support a professional career with piano, let's say. So that's like a very uh, uh, lucky that you know that, right? But in the, and, and, and same with like products. Sometimes people just know... For example, uh, let's say like Mark Zuckerberg, let's say is one decent example is that uh, he was he didn't know, but he was building since he was young ways to have people uh, share information together. Mm -hmm. And uh, he enjoyed uh, doing making different things. He made different widgets that do the essence of what Facebook is today, yeah. but it, it and eventually it culminated to become Facebook. But um, it's it's lucky in the sense of like there was a um, his interest met the opportunity of the market. Mm-hmm. He had a direct interest in that area. He right. was already deliberately doing it, and the market was ready, happened to be ready for something. And MySpace was right on the target too. There's a couple of people right on target at the similar time. Um, that's kind of um, that's a that's a worse example because those are consumer consumer products are the kind of the toughest thing to get right. An a, a easier one would be like um, 
let's say you're mm, oh let's say you're like a, a, a you love hvac uh, like uh, heating and air conditioning yeah. and your like father was an hvac mechanic <laughs> yeah. and you grew up like loving installing those in different places and you found out wow like this particular piece is always like ruining the efficiency let's say you somehow yeah. just were grew up in this environment and then you discovered like your dad's like man yeah you know if someone could figure out how to stop the air leak from right yeah. here we someone would be rich and you're like and you happen to be like oh i think i have a solution mm-hmm. that's like the ultimate uh when i say kind of luck but that the only way you have that luck is if you're in the industry working right. hard you know enough about it that you just found this like niche mm-hmm. thing that if it was solved it would save a lot of people time yeah. or money and then you you had the capacity to make that thing like luck favors a yeah luck mind. favors a prepared mind yeah so that that's another just a a kind of like a classic perfect example of the right kind of company at the right kind of time or right kind of product at the right kind of time and those i would say are like the those are like pretty outlier situations it's like you're but they're the kind of usually the best in mm-hmm. in terms of like being able to get to market with the least amount of money the least amount of time and have the least friction when you're trying to make sales because the market's already there it's easy to explain to them because you're already in that market you know the lingo etc but the majority that those are the minority and usually the best the majority are like i would say probably somewhere closer to what i'm doing where you're you're trying to find uh market gaps mm-hmm. and then see right. where there's where your interests align with market gaps and then try to create solutions for them so oftentimes trying to nail yeah the need in the market right and so a lot of times that means i have to like figure out what's the lingo for that new market i'm thinking of getting mm. into what i need to like find out are the is this need that i think there is mm. can i find experts to agree that that is a need and so on yeah um i'm not sure how i got on this this tangent but <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah so anyways that's uh, uh i'm not sure why i brought up mm-hmm. the, the lucky part but the, yeah. but yeah so what i'm trying to say is oh yeah now i remember it's because you mentioned university yes. so because of that most people whether or not they're going to build a product or something a lot of people don't know what they want to do right. and so you have to test just like i'm doing with products you have to test and fail and the fail metric doesn't necessarily mean you have to fail the class but you can fail in terms of the interest you might have this idea i love architecture and then you get into an architecture class and you're like i hate cad and if you hate cad you're definitely going to hate architecture because you know you're not going to be able to just hand draw buildings uh and make a career out of it yeah uh, no, you're you, just usually. an architecture like appreciate you're just an architecture appreciator which is also fine which yeah. you could go into tangential architecture markets where you're mm-hmm. investing in buildings that you think look cool for yeah. whatever reason or you find a way to support people that are really good artists in that industry somehow mm-hmm. like there's ways <clears throat> but it's best if you find the fail metric as early as possible in terms of in, in my opinion, in terms of your career path, as well as if you're building a product, the product path, you want to just get to that film metric as fast as possible. Why is I tried it? I thought it was going to work. Why didn't it work? 
Is it because it's the wrong thing? Is it the wrong thing for me? Whatever it might be, make sure the you have the self-awareness to say this is the moment that, that we've hit our fail mm-hmm. metric and now we gotta we gotta adjust. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, like I said, I'm very used to doing that now. Um yeah. but like I think that that's the <clears throat> that's the um that that I think that though that does have uh implications nice. in like normal careers as so well. How did you like 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 so going off the, how did you like personally like go to real estate development so that one was kind of a, a weird path so basically i was making these video games and this is going to be kind of confusing but um i'll back up uh when i before i made that robot i was making drones and yes. the, uh, my whole goal from the beginning of drones was like can i make a drone or a robot that's a cool friend robot that I can shoot and play target practice with and it could shoot me back. Like, how could I mimic the feeling of playing airsoft with a friend, mm. but um, without having that friend physically in the same space? And so I tried to attack that problem in different ways. That was just mm. some, that was the problem I had. I wanted that experience. So I was yeah. like, I'm gonna make that experience and then give it to people and see if they enjoy if, yeah. if they enjoy it the same way I was hoping to enjoy it. And so right. first I made a drone that physically shot you with like Nerf bullets. Mm-hmm. And then I, there was problems associated with how many bullets it can carry. It's like a weight calculation. There's a whole, a whole thing. Yeah. And then eventually I, uh, I transitioned to, okay, I'm going to make this, this robot that does it, but with laser tag because laser tag has infinite bullets. You don't have to carry anything. It's just a tiny sensor. So you and the idea was could you make an experience as compelling as being shot with something even though it's just shooting you with a laser beam so it's not like you feel it you know can you can you make an experience interesting um and so that was kind of the attempt which which what we did with the with the robot eventually and then after making the robot i was like i wonder if you could make the same feeling but without any uh, device in between mm-hmm. and so then i made an augmented reality game where it's like you're fighting me from your house but through my phone i see you moving around my house and we're like shooting at each other yeah. that was like my, my yeah. hypothesis like, like the glasses yeah on and- or well the, the 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 question of like what's the medium becomes yeah. the, the that's more the solution uh, okay. the, but the the experience i wanted to create was just the feeling of mm-hmm. fighting someone as if they're with you, even though they're not with you. Yeah. Um, and then I looked into different pieces of hardware. Glasses are not at the right stage. Mm-hmm. Um, VR is was okay, but you can't usually move outside of a little box. Yeah. And so if you're not moving outside of a box, there's not really a difference whether or not they're here with you or not. It doesn't really change the intent. Mm-hmm. And then so I was like, okay, maybe the phone. And then um, we made some games where where you'd see them through the phone and you're shooting, but that was kind of awkward. So then we put it on like a gun mm-hmm. and then the phone was in the gun and that was like a little better, but the process to like connect to the gun and put it in, it was just, there's so many steps someone would have had to take to yeah. eventually have the experience mm-hmm. that that was one of the reasons we kind of like stopped. And then the second thing was it was really hard to get it where 
you feel like I'm in your space and I'm going around your space the way it would make sense. Because if you're fighting me and I'm like behind this column, but you see me as if I'm inside the column, it just breaks the illusion and doesn't feel the same way you're going to think you're, you imagined it would be. And so because of that, um, that was kind of the stopping point of making that game was like, mm, mimicking your environment in real time from my house is a non-trivial task. And then, but fast forward, uh, we were buying a house and then the solution kind of just came to me was like, I wonder if I could make a quick way to make a room in 3D and then pass that information to other people of like what's that 3d room and then in theory send that photo and then in theory we could both play in the same space mm. uh because then i would see what you're seeing and then you you wouldn't see what i'm one person could see what the other person's seeing was the idea yeah um but then uh as i'm making it i was like you know what this could be useful just as tour technology yeah um because uh, I started playing with like putting furniture in and stuff because I had just made the thing with like a room and I was like, oh, what else would you do in a room? And I was just playing with furniture and I was like realizing, wow, the experience of playing around in here uh-huh. is like even more fun than the setup of like calling your friend, get him online, blah, 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 yeah. get in, fight each other. Mm-hmm. I was like, just kind of playing with furniture and stuff is actually kind of sweet. And then I was like, you know, there's a whole market of people that that's all they like to do is play like these like furniture, like, yeah. like Sims games. Mm-hmm. And so... That was kind of the start. It just kind of organically happened as like we're buying this house. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I think I have a solution to make the first person shooter in the same place. And then as I was making that, I'm like, you know, this, maybe real estate people would like this. So then I reached out to this investor who just so happened to just start partnering with Burlington. Mm-hmm. And then just everything started kind of um, snowballing from there. He was yeah. like, oh, I just partnered with Burlington. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, you know, they have tons of houses and, and apartments maybe you can talk with them and see if they are interested and so i did like a little pilot project and then over time eventually added um like commercial space like downstairs mm-hmm. and um added more drag and drop options and that's kind of where i'm at today so it kind of it's kind of confusing but it all started with the hypothesis of shooting each other in the same mm-hmm. place and playing playing alone and then eventually using the same ideas and technology uh, made a slight pivot to real estate, mm-hmm. checked with some people, and it seems like there there's a market. And so yeah. went into that market. So then that's also part of that, like, muse. Like, you start from point A, mm-hmm. and then, like, it's not even, like... I mean, of course, you start with, like, a certain, like, I want to feel like somebody's mm-hmm. there playing mm-hmm. laser tag with me. or you mm-hmm. know. But it was, like... It was like a genuine, like, uh, it was a genuine, like, draw, not draw, but, uh, <clears throat> uh, it was genuine work that you did. Oh, yeah. It was so and much then, work. And yeah. think about it like this. So, what I'm not explaining is this is years of no one's paying me. Like, I don't uh-huh. work for a company mm-hmm. uh, that's like, whether or not you succeed, we're going to give you money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, like, each time I'm investing my time to make these things, 
that's money I could be made making someone else's product. I always get offers. Someone's like, hey, yeah. can you make this for me and I'll pay you this much or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always uh, constantly, there's a cost benefit, like a, you know, I'm always giving up uh, income in order to make something with mm-hmm. theoretical future income. Yeah. So if I'm making these games, I'm thinking to myself, uh, not not how is it going to make me money, but mm-hmm. that if people do like it, it will make money. So I'm not yeah. worried about that part. But it's more along the lines of uh, if it doesn't succeed, then the next time I keep making stuff, I'm taking risk each time, basically, mostly yeah. in terms of time and then spending my savings or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just a just a, a caveat. So it's not so magical in the sense of like someone's paying you. And you're just making things for fun. It's mm-hmm. that you are investing your own. I'm investing my own resources and time to try to listen to the muse, create something, mm-hmm. kill them, make yeah. another thing, and get organically to a place where mm-hmm. this this thing has a, a group of people that really do like it. Yeah. And um, yeah. So that was exactly right. I was. I came started with this shooting thing that mm-hmm. was like in 2014. Yeah. And then 2015 and then all the way till now, basically. So that's what, like seven years of just making tons and tons of new iterations of the same feeling I was trying to get, which was mm. how do I. And, and, and honestly, part of the muse thing is, is like, after I make these experiences, right. I thought, I really thought each time, like if I can get this drone to shoot me with a Nerf gun, mm. it will be the most epic thing ever. <laughs> And then I did it yeah. and it was epic, but it wasn't the most epic thing ever. It wasn't, it wasn't the magic moment mm. that I thought it was going to yeah. be. And I had to really, really sit back and say, damn, I really thought this was going to be magic. Mm. But my heart still said, there's something here. Like, even though this exact experience yeah. is, is, is here, mm-hmm. but what I had to do was actually go deeper. Mm. Like I, that was my surface idea was shoot. Yeah. But the magic I was looking for was was deeper than just being shot. It had something to do with, um, and this takes like lots of iterations of building stuff, but while having my headspace super clear mm-hmm. and and trying to really understand what's motivating me inside, like what's driving me and uh, trying to be really honest. And like the deeper I went, the more like I was think I, I've, I've realized is like, it's not so much the exact application, but the feeling of bringing real life and the digital world kind of together. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you marry the two? Uh, yeah. Because, um, uh, and it even goes as far back as like, for example, like Pokemon. Like oh, when yeah, I yeah. played Pokemon when I was younger, had like cards or even played like card games or board games. What, what I always thought was really magical about board games and stuff is like you're bringing imagination uh but to something real life and like tangible mm-hmm. and what i'm making is kind of the inversion of that mm-hmm. i'm not making physical pieces from my mind into the real world and sharing them together and then we're using our mind to imagine they're talking or moving or whatever it's mm-hmm. the opposite of that i'm yeah. taking what is already here bringing mm-hmm. that into the digital world and then uh adding layers on top of it but the magic of the combination of the two is is the essence of what drives me. And so everything I've been making with the robots with that is like, how do you bring this super special stuff 
our imagination and bring it, mm -hmm. bring the real world and our imaginary world all together somehow. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, that's like, it's very, that's very broad, but that's like kind of the core essence that I'm like of the muse that I'm kind of drawing from. And yeah. I'm just taking answers from that like spinning pool mm -hmm. and then trying those out. The more that you talk, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the less I think that you're an engineer and the more I think that you're an artist. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably true. Mm. I think the engineering part is just a means to an end of yeah. like a means to showcasing like what I want to do. Mm. And, I, and I agree with that because there are some people that just love the experience of just coding or making an electrical mm. Yeah. device just for the sake of making one mm -hmm. but like for me it's the the purpose of why i'm doing it uh is so much uh more exciting and more interesting to me yeah. than the actual the work itself mm -hmm. uh, i guess yeah so it wasn't <clears throat> it, it was like it was like you had it like in ex from the beginning in 2014 like you were like I'm sure, like, the thing that you were searching for evolved somewhat, you know? But mm -hmm. it was, like, how do you... Because it seems like it was, like, a... Uh, like, everybody wants to talk about, like, immersive... Like, immersive, like video game, immersive gameplay, mm -hmm. super realistic. But mm -hmm. it's, like, how do you create intimacy with an object that is that could be on the other side of the planet you mm -hmm. know like how do you create intimacy with like like if you know i was looking to rent this place you know mm -hmm. i'm like okay and i'm on the other side of town mm -hmm. how do i decide whether or not i want to take a tour of the place mm -hmm. i'm gonna go and i'm gonna feel good about it online mm -hmm. to the pictures or through like what you made the um mm. 3d virtual room mm. so it, it, like and even though it was like your tools was logic it was coding it was this and that it was uh it was really just like a a uh It started as a feeling. And I think that's, mm, yeah, that's exactly right. Cool. It's just cool. that all that stuff is just a means to yeah. project that thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And actually with the robot and I'm still in the process, I think there's yeah. something there. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm doing the inverse. I'm bringing the real world into the digital world and then mm -hmm. letting them be combined mostly in the digital space. But I still mm -hmm. see a world where there's a way to bring intimacy to a, a physical object. Mm -hmm. Uh, and making that physical object so special in some way and doing things that are so special mm -hmm. that will still for me capture the essence of of the that that same thing it's like make make us make make a device so smart in some way that it just there's so, just something really special about being with it and like i said that the robot i made it was close like you're definitely not going to find another robot that you can drive, shoot other humans and interact yeah. with human and robot in the same way mm -hmm. outside of like these random things where you can like 
give them a fake bone and they go <laughs> like other than that i mean that's like yeah. the extent but that's not uh-huh. like to me that's not real interaction they're not yeah. act you're you're like providing like some fake stimuli to it but it's not giving it back to you you're not having like a conversation necessarily yeah. versus with like the like with like a, a shooting type thing is for a moment you forget that you're fighting even if you're in control of the robot mm-hmm. for a moment i forget that you're driving it and i just see this robot is attacking me and i need to shoot it and win mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that's the moment that i'm like going for and it's yeah. close and it's got the essence of something but didn't quite hit the mark for different reasons that mm-hmm. that i mean it hit that mark really well to yeah. do that thing but there's more i want to do down the road for mm-hmm. that as well and then with the with this real estate thing there is for me there is this kind of crazy magic where you're not just in a digital world that looks like digital stuff you're also in a real world but in the digital space which mm-hmm. is also really special and not really done until yeah. now mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of what i think is pretty uh pretty special about this experience so yeah. but yeah that's exactly right i'm trying to um yeah provide a provide an experience in them how that comes to be is mm-hmm. like almost less important than the actual mm-hmm. end state um, and it and it um <clears throat> and i gotta tell you it's tough for most engineers to to do that because i i've worked with a lot and a lot of times once they start making something yeah they get really married to that particular piece of technology mm-hmm. like even if like that particular thing was like uh opening this camera and then making it run at 65 frames per second instead of 60 frames using my code you know and like that might have been important for like a particular piece of the the thing you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. but it could turn out to be not important at all for the end state you're trying to provide and being able to separate the two and remember Mm -hmm. that is is normally really tough yeah. Uh, for most engineers it's like you gave them a problem they got to solve that problem and until that problem's solved then like you know they better they're in a closet they don't want to talk to you they don't want to do anything even if you've told them like we don't need to solve that problem anymore they're like no sorry you already gave me the problem i gotta solve it so <laughs> and like i yeah. it's always even a constant battle with myself to like say to remember hey dude you gotta stop solving this problem you gotta go sell like yeah. the uh uh the problem can wait because yeah. it's not a key problem for the overall thing i'm trying to do so yeah i often have that same battle with myself of like forget uh sorry i'm just making yeah, sure yeah, yeah. time oh we have plenty of time yeah um yeah just a constant battle of trying to make sure <clears throat> uh the things i'm doing are directly related to the end state i'm trying to achieve mm-hmm. and if they're not and i'm getting lost in this piece uh uh, being aware enough to be able to mm. say, okay, it's it's time to put this down and fully like get rid of it. Being like a freelancer, right? Yeah. That's what you would consider yourself, a freelancer, right? No, I mean, I have two corporations. So okay. I technically have one that's like for robots and one now that's for real estate software. Okay. And so they have like a real legal structure. Okay. They have investors that are like... I'm supposed to eventually make them have money. Mm-hmm. And so like that, yeah. so uh, I'm a freelancer in the sense of like, 
Mm. But it's entrepreneur. 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 Yeah. So the I, I guess yeah. So that's where I was saying the mm-hmm. li- the lingo is important, yeah. even though it's not well known. Yeah. So uh, I'll just try to give a simple background without getting boring with it. Um, uh, a freelancer is like a highly, a really highly skilled uh, person at a specific thing mm-hmm. that is easily applicable to multiple projects and companies. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, uh, let's say coding in general is a great freelance thing because it's like someone might need help just adding this button on their website and they could pay you to go into their code and add that button, for yeah. example, like that's just a basic example. But it could also be a designer, could be a freelancer. Like, hey, we're making these, we want to make these new shoes. We have this basic design. I, I want to pay you just to like get this design better. Like mm-hmm. take it take it to another phase using your expertise yeah. and we'll pay you this amount of money. And however long it takes, whatever, but we're going to agree on either this price per hour or total price for you to complete that particular task. And they might be doing shoes for multiple companies, let's say. So that's like a freelancer. Um, a small business owner is like usually somewhere in the neighborhood of, I say anywhere between like one and a couple hundred employees. And usually that just means whatever you're doing, there's usually some sort of a, a cap to how big it can grow. So it's like mm. if you have a company, let's say, a construction company while there are massive construction companies like Qit or something mm-hmm. if you today started a construction company it would generally be considered a small business rather than what's called a startup so mm-hmm. i'm kind of giving you three different phases so there's freelancer i would say there's like a stepping function freelancer small business and then startup in terms of like this freelancer has a certain cap of how big it can grow. Yeah. It's all the hours that you can get out of your day. It's a single person. It's a single skill. person skill yeah. that has a cap that's usually directly proportional to the value of their time and how much time they're willing to spend to make money. Mm-hmm. And then sm- small business has a bigger cap and it usually that cap is in conjunction with um, how easy it is to grow the business. If you have a business where you physically need a space, like Mm -hmm. a restaurant, like you may open one or two more or something, but you personally only have the capacity to really make a certain, especially if it's a specialized, let's say, Mm -hmm. restaurant. How many can you manage before the quality might diminish? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes a small business, small business, or a storefront, let's say, or or, or whatever, you know, you're, you're in the pro you have to managing is one of the most important skill sets for like a small business. So it's like run by one, run by usually one people. or two, a couple yeah. people and one to a couple people. And there's a, usually a max capacity that mm-hmm. makes sense for those people before another partner could just open up their same version of that mm-hmm. and still succeed. That's usually what differentiates a small business and a startup is the ability to quickly remove yourself and still have a similar size pie and still have a maximum pie, mm-hmm. right? And that's usually a skill, uh, somewhat of a skilled 
uh, 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 job or managerial thing that ends up being a small business. So a startup and is like a startup of... is you you have um, it's usually way harder to make a little money, mm-hmm. but if you can succeed at making a little money, you have the chance to make way more money because it's usually they call it scalable. It just means rather than a specialized restaurant that needs a specialized chef, yeah. a startup would be like a robot kitchen where <laughs> like you made mm-hmm. you make this specific stuff in your robot kitchen and you got it to the point where you know if it's in this kind of a location in kind in this kind of a city and you literally just buy the same robot, same ingredients, and they all make the exact same thing and provide the same experience. In theory, if you keep cloning that, nothing needs to change because it has no direct managerial expertise needed to be on site. Mm-hmm. There's no, or uh, for example, like Facebook, if more people come on, it's not like you have to personally manage those new people adding themselves to the network. Yeah. You just, you can just keep growing. So, um, there's physical things and physical spaces that could be considered startups, but it's usually how easy is it to replicate mm-hmm. and grow outside of the first place. It's much more of that corporate yeah, mindset. It's that corporate mindset of, stuff, of yeah. like, can it be repeated? Can I give you the formula of this? And, and I'm it's guessing still it's also made. a larger like initial investment. Right. More investment, <clears throat> harder to make a little money. Mm-hmm. But if you can succeed yeah. at making a little money, you you have a higher chance than, for example, a small business or a yeah. freelancer to keep copying it, the formula, and then just keep growing it. You know, fifty more thousand dollars gives you a hundred thousand dollars, and so if you just keep adding fifty thousand dollars, making, uh, uh, getting more customers mm-hmm. with with whatever marketing formula, whatever, then you can keep growing, and that that's like the hardest part. So I'm in the stage of of uh, my the real estate startup where it's like mm-hmm. it's still really hard to even make a little money yeah. we're still because i started selling before the product was even done i made like a basic product and mm-hmm. got a basic like some basic sales yeah. but the per- the product themselves are still far from what the future of them will be they're still good enough to scale yeah. but they're the uh where they will be in the future if it succeeds is going to likely be quite different if you put them together in like five years, what people see. And because it's like a technology startup, it's like you're constantly uh, trying to find the blend of get new customers, get feedback and make changes mm-hmm. before trying to grow too fast and trying because yeah. if you grow too fast, and something's broken it breaks for everyone and they may not come back so there's like a little bit of a balance of like but if you don't grow fast if you don't grow fast enough mm-hmm. then it might be a clue that your product doesn't have merit so yeah. it's a little tricky uh, it's a very tricky um yeah blend but yeah, i was thinking about the other day like if you could become an expert in like furniture versus electronics you know mm-hmm. like electronics will like from today to five years from now to ten years from now, are going to be drastically different than mm-hmm. today. At least, I'm, at least I hope, you know, or, or I assume. And then, like furniture, it's like we've had couches, right, for centuries. <laughs> you know, like it's easy. Like I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's like you learn about furniture, you know about furniture, you know about mm-hmm. electronics, then you 
Yeah. You have to update your, you know. Yeah. So I just gave like a small discussion yeah. about this at, um, at the university I went to recently, mm-hmm. which is that, um, so you bring up a really good point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things to unpack. So, uh, with technology type stuff, if you want to go into that area, you have to get good, not at the tech itself necessarily. You do have to get good at that, but you have to be really good at getting good at it again. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to always keep yourself educated and in the cutting edge. And so you have to continually uh, keep yourself sharp and learning a new new technology. Um, like you said, with furniture, you may not have to do that, but the the the, the thing is... The easier something is to comprehend, sometimes the more competition in that mm-hmm. area. So right. that's the other trick. Yeah. So it's Very like entry stuff. Yeah. So it's like if you to set yourself apart um, technically, techni- te- technologically, I think to make some widget that's like new and someone would say, oh, well, this is new and interesting and, and semi-useful. may not make money, but you could maybe get that feedback. Might be a wager to say it could be harder than making a new piece of furniture that someone tells you, oh, this is innovative, new, and different. Mm-hmm. Because with furniture, you could do that with one piece. You could make a, um, you know, a unique art piece of furniture, but making it replicable and at the right cost and the right price that reaches the masses' minds and says, hey, for that price at that thing, we want that. That's what's tricky is replicating um, the scale of that of that item and being able to um, basically uh, compel people to say, wow, this is like a new, good, interesting piece. And that's something IKEA has done really well is that they've essentially turned furniture into technology. And they're mm-hmm. constantly saying, hey, how do we make this easier to put together so that it's cheaper to ship and cheaper for the end person mm-hmm. and somehow still looks good but may not be made from the same material? Yeah. And, and the, so they're kind of doing what you're saying. And in some ways, you could say it's, it's, e- it's easier mentally. It's easier to comprehend than yeah, technology, yeah. but to apply it to the masses and make money is Maybe harder because mm-hmm. the amount of um, competition is just so high. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, and the how easy it is to replicate is also really high. Right. You know, if someone saw your cool piece of furniture widget, they might be able to just make a small change, a small design change, and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. they can just kind of copy. You. And if they have a really good process for yeah. getting them out and a storefront. Might be hard. So, anyways, technology has some problems like that too. I mean, the, even all technology isn't built the same. Today, websites kind of easy to replicate. So it's like um, now to make a tech company, you have to be really, really good at sales rather than just the technology itself, and you have to be really good at uh, ga- gathering your customer base before someone else does, mm-hmm. and so. That is sometimes way harder than even the technology product that you made in the first place. Like, so in some ways, uh, they have similar problems. But I'm getting into the weeds. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I would say, 
that's where I go back to the small business type thing. It's great, like furniture, for example, I'm just going back to the thing. Furniture, great way to be a freelancer or potentially even a small business. Like open up table, grace and cafe, but <laughs> it's actually just tables mm-hmm. and you can have coffee and yeah. it's all custom tables that you made somehow. Uh-huh. You could maybe have a really great small business that you didn't need some technology expertise necessarily. Mm-hmm. You would definitely need to be a skilled craftsman and an artist and a good salesman. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, but your cap is what would change. Uh, so the cap of scale for that thing would change comparatively to the cap that it, usually a technology business could could scale and grow, basically, which isn't a bad thing. Especially if you go back to what I think is the most important thing is if you love the thing that you're doing and the stuff that you're doing, like uh, that part, the money, how much money and how big should matter a lot less than the thing you're enjoying. Mm-hmm. Just like make that work. Like a lot of people go from like, for, I like jujitsu, you know, mm-hmm. there is a way to like make money from that. Right. And I should definitely not like have. Uh, I'm not saying I want to make a living from jujitsu, mm-hmm. but like it's a very hard thing to make a living yes. out of. Right. And I shouldn't in fighting as well. Fighters are just like, mm-hmm. right, I gotta. I'm on call right now, so they got their phone on the edge of the mat. Like, mm-hmm. so my phone say anything? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, um, so I'm not saying that you won't have to like work hard and in the beginning work for like supplemental income, mm-hmm. but if you have that one thing that you love, don't let it go. Right. You know? Yeah. I so, had that one time, like wrestling. Mm-hmm. I went to college, dropped wrestling, dropped pretty much like everything else to like pursue like college. And I was like, I don't like this yet, but I loved that. You yeah. Know? So it's like, it just mm-hmm. made you dumb. If you love, so what I would suggest to you specifically, even just separate to just, um, just general advice for whoever might be watching. Mm-hmm. I would say, just my opinion. I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm successful in terms of like uh, super financially successful, but in terms of being able to find a way to mm-hmm. have enough money and food and like living to survive while still doing exactly what I want to do every day. Every day I wake up, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm making video games. Mm-hmm. I'm like meeting with executives uh trying to find out if the things i'm making have merit like that's really fun for me yeah. is trying to provide uh, value with something that never existed before and mm. and and then and giving them an opportunity to <clears throat> uh to to use a tool that didn't exist before and maybe add value that wouldn't wouldn't have been possible if i didn't make that that for me is even just that opportunity is incredibly exciting for me and that's worth i would pay to have the experience that i pay (laughs) that i have every day right and that's i feel like if you feel that way about uh, for example Mm jujitsu or or fighting in general i would say it's important to lean into that and think to yourself what is your metric for success to Mm -hmm. me the metric for success if you're um, doing jujitsu or fighting is like if you can make honestly 15k 
to 30K a year eventually by just stuff in that industry, whether it's coaching, um, whether it's taking matches here and there, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, a podcast in the in the um, yeah. in the vector, whether it's you find some other unique way that you don't know now, where it's like there's some version of something that you love to do within that space that is monetizable, that it's just not obvious now. And sometimes that's from a video or verbal medium. Sometimes that's from a photographical medium. Sometimes that's from a uh, competition medium. Sometimes that's from an announcer medium. Mm -hmm. you, you never know what's the thing, but if you go all in yeah. and you know your metric success is just survive. Yeah. And if you can do the thing you love and work towards surviving, eventually you're going to thrive because yeah. you're doing the thing that you love anyway. And all, all the opportunities will come from it. Yeah. And so that's what I would suggest. Cause I mean, to me, it's an, I mean, the, I'm going to be honest, there's a really basic formula that you could cover right now. If you wanted to do jujitsu for your life, you already have all the groundwork to do it, which yeah. is grind every day, couple hours a day, as many classes as you can till you get a black belt as fast as fucking possible mm -hmm. and open up a gym in like Columbus, <laughs> Nebraska or something yeah. and work to get a small, a, like go oh, to oh, a oh, silo. Oh, so, oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to pee so oh, bad. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go pee. <laughs> so bad. I'm in yeah. emergency status right now. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, we're good now. Yeah. So um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So to me, the, the best, the best, the thing is there's a lot of probably towns with like a decent amount of people mm -hmm. that still don't have, I would say, a pretty a good level of jujitsu gym. Yeah. And I think that's the safest, simplest way to survive as a martial artist mm -hmm. is you 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 um go to a town that is underserved and then you service that town mm. and i think that there's uh plenty of opportunity even within our area that could be underserved even if you look at like for example uh i don't know about where i think you got are you guys in elkhorn or blair Blair. Blair. Yeah. yeah. So even Blair, I don't I haven't looked at the scene, but there might be some place like even more north of Blair mm. where there's a community of, I don't know, five to fifteen thousand people somewhere. I don't know, maybe Fremont. I don't know exactly where. Yeah. But there's probably somewhere still within driving distance of where you could live. Mm -hmm. So you could still try to like basically live for free at home, train mm -hmm. all the time, and then slowly in like a, a six months to a year come up with a game plan of expanding to another location somewhere else that it's drivable you can always get friends to come and join go to your gym once a week to build up yeah. a new team over there mm -hmm. and uh like to me that's like the number number one way yeah. you just you want to survive plenty of people that exist in a town extremely annoying to drive an hour away or something mm -hmm that they're maybe willing to drive whatever once a week to our gym or something. But if you opened up a gym nearish there, they may go to your gym as well. And yeah. then they might actually help you build a community in another place. Mm -hmm. To me, simplest way. And in the meantime, <clears throat> continue to go to competitions and stuff, build up your own like reputation. But 
uh, think to yourself, if you're going to build a, another community or something, you know, start with something small, cheap, find a way to make it a win-win for someone like Ernesto, for example, to maybe help even back you. Yeah. Um, if you can find a way like, hey, you know, up to a certain point, you'll give him five to 10% of every student's income that comes in for um, the first five years or something. Mm -hmm. And then if he's willing to put everything down and pay the lease until it starts making enough money. Like there's some world where it would be a no brainer to support if you yeah. found the right market, the right place. Mm -hmm. um, that That's what I would suggest. I know um, Scott Thompson did it was some small town out in Iowa. He had he his gym was out there in a population of like couldn't have been more than like five thousand, but it was a decent it was a decent sized gym. You know, it was all right. And then obviously he had like comes to Omaha and like did stuff for like a Goji and I think Mid America and but um. That's what he did. But the problem with like that is if you have a really good gym, like I used to wrestle with uh, MWC Wrestling Club, mm. and people would drive from Crete and Fremont. And yeah, for sure. Like, so so yes, so they will. So that's yeah. what that's my point. And you want them to. So that's the thing is though. Yeah. If you have a good gym, like our gym is really good, and yeah. people are coming. Like I mean, there's like guy that trains uh, dogs. That comes from all the way way the hell out. I think he also lives in Blair, mm -hmm. somewhere in Iowa, somewhat yeah. near the border of Blair. Like he also mm -hmm. has to come like an hour away to come. Yeah. But and when I was in Tennessee, <clears throat> my dad lives in this uh, town, Atoka, which is like 35, 40 minutes from Memphis. Mm -hmm. Memphis, great gym, huge gym. They yeah. have like two or three sick gyms. Yeah. But in those towns like Atoka, they have a pretty great small gym. They have like easily you only need like 20 members they have easily mm -hmm. 20 to 40 members that they train monday through thursday at um the atoka gym yeah. and then they all go on the weekend or whatever mm -hmm. uh, like once or twice a week to the to the mothership yeah. and then they and then because the thing is <clears throat> on your day-to-day -day, yeah. you don't need to be at the mothership to get your rounds in especially if you're new mm -hmm. you just need to do like a thousand arm bars and shit like you just yeah. need to learn to escape and you're going to do that for a year or two you don't need to get your ass kicked by like world champions every day like there's no yeah. there's no need mm -hmm. so that's why i think that there's um and they may eventually as people get good enough they may graduate to spending more time at the mothership mm -hmm. but uh in theory they could uh you could but there's always still going to be new people coming in mm -hmm. and so that's what that's what i would say yeah. is that you embrace the mothership rather than looking at the mothership as competition you mm -hmm. find a way how do we financially work together to mm -hmm. make it a win-win like yeah. you they can go train at the mothership a certain amount of times per week and you're funneling uh, a portion of their dues back to the mothership and so it's a collaborative thing. So there's ways that you, you can make it work and there's not a downside because not everyone is going to be, you know, you, Miguel and Gio coming in hot as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's the majority of people are are not going to be willing to drive an hour and a half or an hour 
to, yeah. to the thing. No, there's going to be a there's going to be a group of people, and you're going to want to build mm-hmm. up a group of people that want to do that. But yeah. they just become part of your competition group that come back to the mothership, mm-hmm. train once a week or whatever, yeah. and uh, that's what I would say. Um, it's the best because you know you could go. In my opinion, you could go into MMA, right? You could go into these things, but you know you you're gonna take you're gonna definitely get brain damage for sure. No matter how good you are, yeah. no matter how good you are, you're just mm-hmm. gonna. And then two, um, what's the end result? Is you eventually open up your gym anyway, right? Yeah. That's the retirement plan for every MMA dude, other than the number one. And like, even being number one, you can't plan for that. Even if you're healthy, like, mm. I don't know if you follow like different fighters in the UFC, but my favorite fighter was Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Mm. And he's like 145, super skinny, tall, Dagestani ninja. Mm-hmm. He retired during COVID. He's only like 29. Um, he was un- undefeated, easily could have eventually been champion. But like between kind of getting sick during COVID and like, there weren't fights available. He started studying to be a doctor and was like, eh, whatever, I'll just be a doctor now. <laughs> and like, he, and so like, cause he was weighing the pros and cons of like, yeah. in his weight division, what what's his financial opportunity for his personality and stuff. He's just like, ah, screw it, I'll just be done. So like, even mm-hmm. if you aren't even the best mm-hmm. and arguably the best, you may never even end up getting title right. uh, payment. And even if you're the best, like Demetrius Johnson, absolute best some some fights even first title fights were only like 100 150 grand and he was fighting once a year so even he had to diversify Mm -hmm. um participate in a gym invest and do other stuff so my point is you can't really necessarily predict that you're even if you're the best that your star power and your interest in media will propel you to other things you Mm -hmm. know what i mean you can't even predict necessarily those things so my point is even when you're really good, most of the time, the end result is open up a gym. Yeah. So if that's probably the end result anyway, you always just open up a gym yeah. at the same time so that you're fighting and competing. Yeah. yeah, that's what a lot of Brazilians do. Yeah. Open up a gym, fight and compete. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Um, like the gym rides on their own, like yeah. accomplishments. On their accomplishments, their exactly. And everything, yep. Yeah. yep. Yeah. That, that, that's what I would say. That's mm-hmm. the number one formula. And, then, and while you're doing that, the thing is, if you do that, you have to take it really serious. And my suggestion would be to do, I would suggest you do what I do and call the muse every day that you're going in the gym and you're training and you should be looking around, thinking, talking to people and think to yourself, where's a gap mm-hmm. in service for the jujitsu community yeah. that doesn't exist now, mm-hmm. whether locally or internationally, that you could provide? Mm-hmm that other people that that's unique to you um and it could be audiovisual in some way it could be you could find that there's something organizationally with opening gyms that's like annoying when you're opening up your gym that you're like man if this part was easier yeah and and you could you could help other people solve that part then maybe that's a financial opportunity i don't know what it is but i would say if you're gonna do it go all in and really have your mind open to like where are the places of improvement mm-hmm. in general in the community and then how could you what of those problems are you interested in solving alongside of the things you're doing yeah. that, that's what i would say 
<clears throat> yeah, I um, not only that, but like uh, as we're talking, like some popped in my head, like uh, Anthony Smith, for yeah, example, like exactly. fighting and then broke his leg, his last fight, or exactly. Whatever. Incredible dude, yeah. but now he's a commentator, you know. Right, exactly, yeah. Commentator. Yeah, commentator. Yeah, and exactly. And I honestly, I think that there's a gap. I'm just gonna be honest. I think there's a gap in live commentating on uh, on jujitsu matches. I've oh, been yeah. looking yeah. like a, a number of people have podcasts that like chat sometimes. Like, there's only like four that chat yeah. about even like mm. post worlds or post ADCC or actually. Uh-huh like look up the drama between people and try to analyze it and discuss it yeah. and talk about matches going on in real time or commentary over top matches that are, have already happened. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I don't know if you're interested in that thing, but there, there's a gap there, I think in yeah. the market of jujitsu, but I think there's gaps and opportunities that come up when you take it serious. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And to me, you already showcased a, a, an incredible skill set. Uh, in in your match that mm-hmm. like you know you the the first three and a half minutes four <laughs> minutes of that fight looked like someone that yeah. could beat anyone mm-hmm. ever yeah. so uh and at your stage i think at most stage like that like high uh, you, you know you're a blue belt but it, i mean you have a blue belt now but mm-hmm. your your skill is at a stage where you're at the right day the right time the right skills you could beat anyone so you're at that stage now so to me it's like now it's just a matter of figuring out how do you work into the circuit there's right. a circuit in austin for example the who's number one and there's other circuits that i think you and i think even miguel and maybe maybe isaac a couple people should start thinking about networking into those circuits yeah. while having and i think it's not too early to start a school even now somewhere else um, yeah. if, if you were interested in getting started right away, but I would say if you were interested right away, start researching hard, get the list from Ernesto. Where does everyone live? Mm-hmm. That's at our gym. Is there any pattern that you see of people that live, uh, of, a, of like four or five people somehow that live all in some oh, location yeah. further some away? That's yeah, yeah. That like you could, that you could support and then they could be your nest egg to then, get more students mm-hmm. uh, to that location and then build up a financial model of like if if you got a lease at some location there how well does that location work for them and what are the high school groups like like do some serious research find out are there wrestlers there right what um like find out what's mm-hmm. what's available or what what's option and spend a few months really digging in and around and coming up with some plans and backup plans. And then that's what I would say is mm-hmm. that's a real way you could, you could pretty much start now make money. I mean, yeah. back in the day, blue belt, which I, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a ceremony coming up. You better get a blue belt. Uh, but whatever, even let's say you didn't care and you just wanted to stay a blue belt back yeah. in the day, a blue belt is basically a black belt. I mean, you, by the time you're <laughs> yeah. a blue belt, you should basically, if you're competitive mm-hmm. and you're wearing a blue belt on your waist, yeah, you should be able to hang with most people on any given day, given a certain set of like mm-hmm. strategy or whatever. Yeah. So like to me, that's why it was always blue belts often were the ones allowed to go open up another school, still come back to the mothership, and then yeah, help grow that other school. Yeah. So like I know a, a um 
a uh, purple belt in Flagstaff, Arizona. Well, okay, he recently got promoted to brown belt, but he was mm-hmm. like, but he would, uh, he doesn't have his own gym, but he would open up like his garage, put mats mm-hmm. down, and then he would have like a pretty good number of people. I don't know how it would look now, but I looked on his Instagram and like whenever I see it, it's like maybe a group of like eight to 15 people, you know, yeah. just like training in the gym. And they're going to a few tournaments here and there, and they're actually been like winning, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. that that's what I mean by you could you could do that, but mm-hmm. I would suggest doing a little more professionally. Get a oh, get yeah, a yeah, yeah, get yeah. a nice little bay somewhere yeah. downtown in Columbus or Fremont or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you know, bring people yeah. in and uh, get something going. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's a uh, that's the value of also having a good brand. Like Aries is a pretty cool brand yeah. that you can leverage. And it seems like Paul and them are all very interested and willing to help spread the name. Mm-hmm. And so you just need to find a financial model that works so that they're also part of the system. They can come for promotions right. or you can drag Ernesto out there or Nolan or Ryan and get and just have a day every six months or something over there, however yeah. you want to do it. And, you know, just build up a program. Yeah. So it's all just like like marketing analytics. Like- yeah, a little bit of marketing analytics. And a lot of it's just uh, trust. Mm-hmm. You just have, well, a little bit is data. You yeah. need to know what's the demographic. Is there an opportunity in terms of a demographic there? Mm-hmm. And then making it something. So finding the right location and serving a group that mm-hmm. could be there. Like, I don't know anything about Fremont or 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 um, Columbus or any of these places, but I'm sure there's high schools around that have like wrestling programs that um, that you could get to know them before even opening the school yeah. and and ex- express, hey, I'm planning to opening this school if you guys want to come, and then come again when you do open the school, and then come again mm-hmm. in a couple months after it's been open. And you find a way to cooperate with the people around so that the people that should learn about you do, and then they'll start bringing people mm-hmm. and, and so on. And people will start to know, like when a new jujitsu school comes in town and people that were interested in stuff, especially the one or two people mm-hmm. that were already from there driving all the way over here, yeah. will will start talking to other people and so yeah. on. Like in Omaha, if a new jujitsu open gym opens up everybody everyone knows. would know everybody yeah. knows yeah and then you know like a bigger city like um like a gym owner is going to know about the other gyms opening up in their vicinities yep. like and then through their knowledge of that you know it obviously spreads and like mm-hmm. yeah so that so that alone yeah it's um like through word of mouth itself Mm. I, I think most jujitsu stuff is word of mouth or people mm-hmm. searching and just making sure you have a website up that's searchable yeah and that you have good seo because mm-hmm. uh and then doing a little bit of to me the only obvious people you can go to mm-hmm. to spread the word is is wrestling gyms i mean you could go to like other dojos but they might yeah. take it as dojo storming so yeah y- you may want to not do that unless mm-hmm. you happen to like make friends with one of them or something and you want to yeah. come up with a thing where hey you know you give me 20 bucks a student and your students can come anytime they want or something mm-hmm. and like co- cooperate with them in some way yeah um that that's, those are always a chance but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's always good even if like like for example if 
somebody were to open up a gym and then like four of our people left, you know, that's still actually, I think in the long term, good. No, no, no. That is the way, that's the method yeah. is that the, uh, is that you do it where a couple people leave and it's mm. not that they're leaving because you still want to be affiliated anyway. Yeah. So what it will be is that they just, they just come once a week or once every two weeks to the mothership basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you do it in a financial way where the mothership gets some percentage of your, um, uh, ahead anyway. Yeah. Like some dollars a month per, per person affiliation thing. Fee, yeah. Um, and then, and then, then it's like that four people, eventually the amount coming in from like the new 20 people mm-hmm. will compensate uh, yeah. for the losing the four mm-hmm. and the brand grows. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And then not even just brand. So let's say we have, yeah. now we have two Aries gyms in Ahoma mm-hmm. or in this vicinity mm. um now there's more jiu-jitsu gems and there's more new people coming here there's not more new people coming there mm. and there's more so like personally i think that like since coming to omaha like we we've seen like a we're like okay why why doesn't why is why are premier assholes why you know why you know why does everybody kind of just like uh, stick to their own, I guess? Like mm. uh, Scott Thompson's thing that that's a big thing with like him and whatever whatever he's doing now. Like it's very like in house. Isaac, he was like, I was like, I went up to him, I was like, hey, I'm going to this other gym on like Thursdays or whatever. I hope that's like, okay. And he's like, yeah, we don't do that. And he's like. And he just said peace out and came to Nebraska, you know. But um Oh wait, oh who who oh I Isaac used to train with Scott for like the first few months. Is Scott the Omaha BJJ guy? Or was No, Scott? Scott Thompson. Who's Scott Thompson? Uh he I think I think he's been in America now. Okay. I, I think he's a black belt. Yeah, I haven't guy. checked all the other schools. I only yeah. been to Premier, yeah, uh here uh-huh. and then uh Kali Academy of Martial Arts and then I think I might have tried one or one or two other. Oh yeah, obviously I went to the um, tag team. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know if I went. To, I didn't check out all the others. Yeah. But, um, Actually, Scott Thompson. I don't think does Mid America. Is he a gogi? Is he? A, I've heard it, the name of gogi a couple times, and I've heard that yeah. there's a place in Ralston as well that some people go to. That's like a like Pepin and Yeah, area. I think that is gogi. Okay. And Scott Thompson is like the black belt of the Goji or something, but he doesn't train there. I don't know. Okay. But it's Isaac so was there before and then eventually came here because they <laughs> yeah. were uncomfortable with training yeah. in multiple places. Yeah. Okay. And it's like that. But like whenever we go to like Phoenix or. Yeah, basically Phoenix. It's like everybody's like, okay, you come here and you come there. Like the training schedule is like. Okay, we just train here, the main curriculum during the week, and then over the weekend we're like go to open like, mats or whatever. Yeah, go to yeah. mats, go to other places. Even during the week, you know, like mm-hmm. bounce here, bounce there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. but then here it's like, and I feel like that spreading of jujitsu anyway is just better for it as like a mm-hmm. whole. You know, but that that's why I would suggest um, 
But I would suggest if you were going to think of openness, I wouldn't do it in, in my opinion, I wouldn't do it in Omaha. Yeah. I would say go find about an hour away, mm-hmm. somewhere an hour away or so from the main gym that I, the most ideal is yeah. it's an hour away. There's three, four people already mm-hmm. that already drive here. And there isn't another jujitsu gym yeah. within like 30 minutes of there. Mm-hmm. And then that's like the money shot because yeah. <clears throat> and between probably 45 minutes and an hour and a half away probably mm-hmm. is like a good, a good, a yeah. uh, good distance. Cause then it's like far enough, but like you said, close enough where mm-hmm. you can still go visit them, go visit other places. Yeah. And, um, I feel like that's almost like, like, um, like do that if you want to like guarantee breaking like even and then like mm-hmm. some you know mm-hmm. but then you also have to look at like so let's say you're you know brazilian mm-hmm. and you come to america and you're like okay i want to open up a gym and i want to be the world champion mm-hmm. why would he choose like a small town over a jiu-jitsu oh, hub i'll tell like you why okay Dallas. so this is what i'll tell you i'll tell you yeah. why because that was brazilians did that mm-hmm. when there wasn't anyone else in the town so yeah. that's why is because now there's more Americans also opening up gyms. Yeah. And so they even Brazilians don't like a random Brazilian won't come even to Omaha, even if they're a world champion, like yeah. say like a Cachinho or something. Mm-hmm. If he was to move to America today mm-hmm. uh, and, and everything was the same, I doubt any of them would have opened a gym in Omaha because it would be too much competition. It's just they would because they would do what Italo does at Premier, which is you just become a salaried employee of a gym that's already there. Italo is a Italo, world champion yeah. that like just really good jujitsu dude mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah, yeah. is the coach at Premier. Mm-hmm. But they just pay him like an employee salary, basically. Right. Because um, why would he come into a densely com- competitive area, pay the leasing fees because you have to you have to pay ahead there's like there's a investment associated Mm -hmm. with opening up and then most of those brazilians came and they actually joined someone invited them into town and then they like were gifted basically a gym Mm -hmm. and became like a partner at the gym they didn't like go in dry and then just open it and say hey i'm a world champion come Mm -hmm. it was like almost never was like that Mm -hmm. Um, even the guy um my uh, Brazilian coach in China, really incredible jujitsu, came from Brazil, but he was first, he had the idea of like, I want to go somewhere else and open a gym mm-hmm. under the check mat banner. Yeah. Um, but he had an offer uh, from like his coach, which is the uh, head of check mat, was like, hey, there's this gym in China that they want mm-hmm. someone to come coach. Can you go represent us and then see if it's good? And yeah. if it's good, you could just open up your own gym there. And so that's exactly what he did. He first mm-hmm. went there to help out another gym, but that gym eventually closed. Right. But then he already had a list of people that liked jujitsu. And over mm-hmm. time, even in China, he had to, for the first like five years, he was coaching under someone else's gym, even though everyone was going for him. Mm-hmm. It's just financially difficult to get started. Yeah. That's why I was saying you kind of have a pretty good opportunity right now that you could um 
you could go and basically get sponsored and it could be a win-win. Yeah. That that's more what I mean. Mm-hmm. And most of those but yeah, like I said, most of those guys, they come, they don't just open up a gym dry. They were yeah. getting invited to join a gym that already had like a lot of kickboxers or something. Yeah. And so they already had a student base. And so that and that whoever was running the gym already knew mm-hmm. um like how they could do it. And then eventually that person decided okay, I know the town, I know how to do this, I've saved enough money, I'll open up my own gym now. And usually they won't open it up in the same area, they'll still go a little bit away from where they started just to not compete with that initial school, unless they ended on bad terms. But um, usually they won't do it like that. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's what I would say. In my opinion, it's easier to get started. Yes, you could say, yeah, if you wanted to build up like a really big school or something, mm-hmm. but... The thing is, if that was your thought, you could always go back and do that. If you yeah. think that you were that good mm-hmm. or something or that you had some sort of something mm-hmm. that was going to end up being a gigantic school, it's nothing starts that way. Mm-hmm. And financially, it's really, really the bigger you want to build it, the more expensive it's going to be right. to start. So you need a nest egg anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what that's the point of going and opening up a silo school because it's like you either way you're gonna have to learn how to do it and either way you're gonna have to gather students and learn how to gather students and either way you're gonna have to start small yeah so Mm -hmm. uh, because of that that's just a way to start small in a way that has a higher chance of success most Mm -hmm. gyms uh, restaurants everything no matter how good you are almost all of them fail within a year or two Mm. so trying to beat that one or two year before it dies Mm. which is the majority is already going to be in pot it's like it's you're already fighting against impossibility Mm. but if it's the only thing you want to do you know you just want to 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 survive then you may have what it takes to survive that first year or two Mm. learn everything you need to know to make it work and then eventually build your way up to something that you could bit so big that you're thriving. Mm-hmm. But that's what I would say is that it's already all the cards when you're opening up a small business are so stacked against you anyway. Yeah. Take my suggestion would be take every opportunity to get an edge mm-hmm. on your start that you can. Okay. That's what I would say. So let's say a huge gym. Let's say in a fucking. San Diego, mm-hmm. and you're like in a small town, thirty minutes away from San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I live in San Diego. I go to the small town state San Diego. Start my business there. Have good success rate. Mm-hmm. Do that for four years. Mm-hmm. So then, and then now my dream is to have a big school. Yep. I go on to like let's say it's you know on the fucking like eastern side of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Open up school there. A few students come here, at least mm-hmm. for, you know. The first a lot of them will year, come. Right? But what you really do is that first one that you opened, mm-hmm. you already build someone up to take it over. Uh-huh. And you you still own the school. Mm-hmm. And then that person, while they're there, they should be running it while they're like a purple belt or something. Right. And they should be essentially um, uh being able to survive you're giving them a living wage mm-hmm. and keeping a little bit above 
for yeah. you. And now that was your just investment. And that's your uh, school that someone else takes over. And then a lot of those students mm -hmm. will be at both this school and then the new school that you opened up and then the bigger school. Some people will come or you just close down that school. Either one. Yeah. If you have someone mm -hmm. that's already good enough, you keep them there and you mm -hmm. keep the school running and then you open up the yeah. additional school. If you feel like you you find out most likely what you'll end up doing is you open up the bigger school and everyone just comes mm -hmm. that's usually what will happen is most people will come some yep. people will fall off and you have to make that bet of do <clears throat> do you sacrifice half of the students that are that that will be too far and will the new place including the competition around still end up giving you like three times more students or something mm -hmm. would, would be the calculation you have to make. And, uh, and usually the answer is yes, if you've got a reputation and people like you, then most people say, but yeah. the other option is, yeah, you just keep that school open. You just have someone else kind of running the day to day. Mm -hmm. And then you just have your, like you say, this is the new headquarters. I'm handing the keys off to Jason or whatever, and they're going to be running it. And like, uh, um, everyone is free to come to either school or you have to find a business model that works but yeah, yeah that's what I would say hmm. actually really good idea because even just to give you an idea my coach in China do like he yeah. moved literally from his very first gym mm -hmm. to the last gym that I left they were an hour apart mm -hmm. and they were almost all of us went no matter where he went yeah so if you get a foundation of students and they really do like you They'll still drive a long way to go mm. to you. Even they may come less often, but yeah. But in China, it's harder to keep a gym going and have someone yeah. else running it. But in the States, it's a lot easier to have yeah. multiple. Mm. And and uh, and for the legality of it, still be mm. fine. Okay. But, and that's just the way China's run. Yeah. Versus it's just there's more sneaky people over there mm. that if you say, hey, you know, you got to pay a certain amount per month for me mm -hmm. to keep this lease going and going there. Mm -hmm. People there might be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then three months later, it'd be like, I talked to the boss, I'm paying the lease now and these are my students. Uh, so like, there's some shady shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it just depends. But you also have to keep in mind, mm -hmm. do you want to run it? Mm -hmm. Or do you want them to just, you know, slide you a tiny bit of cash a month and they're yeah. just an affiliate even having like the franchise like in mm -hmm. denver their denver and surrounding areas like boulder mm -hmm. and then uh for for whatever that whatever it was called like there's east east and gyms all over the place mm -hmm. so even like let's say like um the one in centennial or whatever mm -hmm. having that easton brand and so even even if like no other gym brings it in having that brand mm -hmm. helps in itself you know? mm -hmm. um i we have like 30 minutes left mm -hmm. so i want to know like a rundown of what happened going to china living in china and then leaving china okay so essentially the story begins before china of why china but mm -hmm. essentially when i left my job in los angeles to try to become an entrepreneur mm -hmm. uh i moved to san francisco 
because my friend also wanted to start a company. And so I had quit, moved there, and just said, let's see what happens kind of yeah. a thing. But I mean, I had a little bit of a plan, but that was kind of more or less it. And then I would say like three months in working with that guy, it didn't work out the right product and the right people. They were not, it wasn't the right product, not the right people. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to try to find a product that I want to stand behind and make a new product. So I started making drone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> mostly coding on drones and making different applications like uh, like following and different applications and then showcasing them around San Francisco and basically presenting them, pitching them, um, looking for investment, looking for partnerships and stuff. And uh, eventually I got like an offer basically um, from this, this um, uh, well, it was like multiple interviews and then eventually an offer from this one investor that is an American-based venture group, venture capital group, but that had an office in China that they that if they invest in you, they want you to go there for three months if you are a hardware startup. So if you're making a physical product, mm-hmm. they want you to go there because they basically had like a, think of it like a three-month uh, crash course and figuring out how to manufacture overseas. And so they like, uh, you go, you know, we met a lot of different factories and mostly you just learn how business is done in China and then mm-hmm. eventually how do you work with a factory and have them uh, make your stuff, mm-hmm. right? So that was the plan. So we had some different offers, but that was the one we took, mm-hmm. was the one to go to China. And so we got an investment from them and went to China. So that was that's why China was presenting to everyone that just happened to be one of the investment offers that came mm-hmm. and at the time <clears throat> we were trying to decide do we want to just make software or also make the computer so it's kind of like the question of apple versus microsoft yeah apple makes the whole thing and the software microsoft just makes the software and so we said eh, let's try to do the apple model and mm-hmm. make the software and the hardware and then uh, go to china and just see how it goes so in China, that was like a, man, there's so many, I'm not even sure what's the most interesting details, but essentially the day in life was like, I went to the office every day and just, again, was just coding and making tons of new demos basically. Mm-hmm. And then physically um, looking at different electronic components mm-hmm. and trying to figure out if I want, for example, to put an nerf gun on here how big does the drone have to be and so i would like yeah. put, put it on top of different drone bodies um i made lots of different physical um uh, uh, a lot of different physical um shapes mm-hmm. for the the things and then also making a lot of different software like make it do different things and also talking to factories talking to like other drone companies and seeing if, hey, does this software look like something that's interesting to put on your drone and then we could like sell the software to you and make it a Mm win-win. So there's all these things happening at the same time. I'm trying to go meet other drone um, companies, um, other robot companies. I'm making software. I'm changing the physical shape of what we're making and trying a new experiment and seeing 
and then testing it on people and saying, is this a winner or is it not a winner? Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually it took a long time, like a really long time. Like every time I made a new demo, yeah. I was like, this isn't going to work. And it, it and, I, and I'll try to sum up why most of the demos just didn't work. It was like, okay, I can put this gun on here, but it's only going to last five minutes. Like the bat, the it's the weight is too big to to handle five minutes. Or right. oh, if we if we make instead uh, this application, um, this application is is fun, but it's not extraordinary. I mean, it's extraordinary for a moment, but it's not yeah. extraordinary long term. Mm-hmm. And so, this is the kind of like failing over and over that I'm kind of talking about. I was like, I make another thing, mm-hmm. something about it fails. Like it's going to be too expensive. Like the experience is worth $50, but I would have to sell it for 400. Like there's different reasons why I consider it like a fail metric. Right. It was either too expensive to do the thing too big, or sometimes it was like, didn't last long enough or, mm, those were kind of the combination. So the whole time I'm doing that, I'm also trying to uh, uh, network with other factory with factories making drones. So I, I I went to factories that were making really professional drones, and then I went to some that were making like toy drones. And I yeah. was working to try to develop a relationship so that if I if and when I discovered this thing is is the magic then that person will say, oh, okay, let's make it, was like the plan. And so part of that was I spent a literal year working with one factory on um, following, making the drone follow me. So, yeah. But using the least technology possible. So mm-hmm. I first had to make it really, so at the time, to make a drone just hover in place, the drones that could hover in place the minimum price was like 100 150 bucks to, mm. to 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 buy a drone that could hover in place yeah there was no like uh and that was absolute cheapest the majority yeah. were starting price at like 3 to 400 that seemed okay? like really expensive compared to today too. right very yeah. expensive compared to today and all the toy drones that were in the like 20 to 100 dollar range yeah they none of them could stably hover so i had to like find a camera find a process and find a price to get a toy drone to hover Mm. for less than like 50 bucks like i had to find a way to make everything work so that it could hover and still sell at a really cheap price so that was like a big core thing I know I needed to solve because I was like I want to make a toy drone but it's got to be as smart as the expensive drones but still be the price of a toy drone that that's because after all my testing I was like all these things aren't fun on their own but if they were all on the same thing and it was the right price it could be good enough that was my hypothesis so I had to find a way can I make it cheap enough so I spent literally a year just coding at this factory with this other group of engineers working on toys. I would just like 
ask them like, hey, can you give me, uh, um, uh, can you make me a new uh, circuit board of this shape, for example, or something. And then while I'm coding this, then they bring me a circuit board with a different shape so I could test it on a different drone. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be like coding and trying to get it to work with that drone. So I did that for a while. Then eventually I got it to stably hover, but then it was like, okay. By the time I finished that, um, we realized like now I got to do the part where it does stuff. And then I had to do that with one camera. And all the things that were doing smart things were using an infrared camera which was boosting the price up beyond $400 for most people. So I had to come up with a unique way to make it really smart with just one camera and hover in place. So I like, uh, once I solved that, I had to solve like, how do you make it really smart with just one camera as well? And uh, yeah, so I was making some applications working at this factory. um, And while I was doing that, I was like, that, that was before I had done laser tag. Okay. I had already been thinking, okay, a gun that shoots a real thing is going to be too heavy. And so while I'm building this, I'm thinking to myself, what is a magic, what is the magic uh, thing that we're going to give to people? And like, um, I had settled on, okay, I'm just going to let it follow you. If you go here and here, it will videotape you. So if you're like vlogging and you want a moving vlog, like it would move with you as you're moving without GPS or anything. It would just follow your like face and body, um, which wasn't done at the time. And so I was like, I'll do that. It's not very interesting to me, but it, there was a bit big market for it. Yeah. So I was like, that was kind of one of those times where I was kind of not cheating myself, but like yeah. that was a moment where I almost uh, gave in to mm-hmm. the thing where you don't let your heart win. You're, you're letting the market tell you uh, what to make, even if you don't believe that that's the right product. So there's times in your life too, like uh, that might happen too if you become an entrepreneur where your gut tells you one thing, but people say another thing. And to me, I think it's important to go with your gut. But I almost, almost got tricked into doing that. But I had an epiphany while I was doing that. I almost done with that program. And then I was like, laser tag what if the laser tag sensor is tiny doesn't weigh anything what if mm-hmm. i put the laser tag sensor on it and i shot the the drone with the laser tag gun and it shot me i know that sounds obvious but at the time it wasn't obvious at all like because i was so obsessed with playing airsoft that yeah. i was like it's got to shoot me with something <laughs> like it's not good enough but the thing is i found these laser tag guns that my friends um he was working with a toy company and their laser tag guns vibrated when they got hit yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and when i saw that i was like the whole reason why i didn't want laser tech is it's like boring you don't feel anything like you don't even know you got shot you have to like look down and hear "Eh, eh," or something i'm like this just sounded too lame but when i felt those guns and i shot them and then it shot and i could feel it vibrate i was like this might be good enough physical feedback that will Mm -hmm. compensate for it not being a physical thing hitting you yeah you know so i was like this might be good enough and it was it will solve the problem, which is the weight. Mm-hmm. And so on a whim, I added my sensors, changed the board, soldered everything on, mm-hmm. recoded it. And then I started shooting the drone and I made it so that it was like tracking me. Mm-hmm. I shoot it and then it moves to a new location if it gets shot. And I was like, 
this experience is magic. I was like, this is this is like everything I wanted. Uh-huh. And but the drone can only fly for like three minutes or four minutes uh, if it's like doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it was still good enough. Like it was a cool toy. And I was like, this is the most advanced toy I think anyone would have ever played with if I put that out. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to toy companies and one of them is my friends that made those guns. Mm-hmm. I got into that group uh, and I talked to their like owner and he was like, dude, this is sick. Let's do it. Um, but can we do it on a, like a rolling, like a robot on the ground? Cause yeah. he's like kids battery. might, yeah, the battery will yeah. last longer and kids like may not be able to handle drones. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like I'll make the same experience with the, with the ground. And then, Got them to agree to a certain order size if mm-hmm. I make it, and then that was like, that was like three. That was essentially I was three years in, uh, maybe two and a half years in, to like. I had lived in a freaking factory for almost like a year. I had like made a million different demos and just not. I made had a million different like business meetings with big companies and just it just nothing was quite right. But I, mm-hmm. but eventually I like made that thing, lived at the factory again, ended up working with the factory that I was making the other thing with, um, and then they ended up making that making the robot with me, mm-hmm. and then uh, after we built and sold uh, quite a few of those, um, we were waiting for them to sell out. So they bought a bunch and then they were selling them, mm-hmm. and then um, basically Vanessa and I were like, mostly me. I was like, I'm kind of. China was kind of, when I first got there, they are quite open. Like, you could go anywhere. Yeah. It was easy to come in and out of the country. Um, but every year I was there, they started getting more and more locked down. Um, uh, like, by the time I left, this is pre-COVID, by the time I left, they were, they, they would literally have some government official come like once a week to our apartment to just check and see if I, if I still live there, uh, because they always want to keep tabs on foreigners. Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was getting so weird by the end. And it was really, really hard to, but I was also at a stage where I was trying to talk to new investors, get, decide what I want to do next. And it was really hard to communicate with anyone in the States. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what moved me to Austin was I was looking at like coming back and I was like, if I go back, I want to be a part of a network of other people yeah. doing like, Austin early stage really comp- good companies. Yeah. That. So I looked at Austin, I looked at, um, uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. I looked at Omaha and then I also looked at Denver and, um, I looked at Los Angeles slightly, but it's so expensive. I was just like, nah. And I yeah. knew I didn't want to go back to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, eventually we chose Austin and then that's what brought me back. So okay. uh, like I said, long story, but. Um, it seems like China trip was just like a big workshop. and it, like, it was a, it was such a huge workshop. <laughs> it was like, oh, it was, it was, oh man, I can't even. It's so insane. I'm so so stressed just thinking about it. Uh Because you got to think, like, I'm in a pressure cooker. I'm Mm -hmm. in a foreign country. I have a limited funds that investors entrusted me with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, I have a, I had met my now wife there. Mm -hmm. um, And we were living together. And, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to try to succeed, try to do something right. 
yeah. um, uh, from a lot of avenues. And um, yeah, it was just very, very, very tricky to eventually ending up. I'm very happy we eventually ended up coming out with a product out of it. And I got the experience of really making a product, making thousands of them, physically being in the factory, seeing how it's done. I know exactly who is making it. I tested them. Like being able to be a part of the process from very beginning to eventually shipping them mm -hmm. uh, was uh, insane. And looking back, that's pretty fast to go from idea to eventually a physical product being shipped from like mid 2015 to the end of 2018. So that's like, I guess that's. That's like three years. Yeah, like three years. Um, uh, I would say that's not horrible. I mean, if a normal iPhone, like iPhone 10 to 11 or something, sometimes can take that long and they already know what they're going to make. Yeah. I didn't even know what I was going to make. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I feel okay that that, that but you know, there's some appears of mine who, mm -hmm. who were way ahead when they first got there. They were already sure what's their product going to be, what yeah. it's going to look like, what it's going to do. And mm -hmm. um, so I was quite early when I went there. They, I was very lucky they took a chance because um, a lot of people that got investment and went there were definitely further along than me in yeah. terms of knowing the exact thing that they were making and why. Mm -hmm. And I was still like, close but not all the way i like i knew i wanted it to play some sort of games i knew it needed to shoot somehow but i didn't know physically what components were needed to eventually like make it and stuff so that was which tricky. so then with like the robot mm -hmm. and then that like going to china and knowing that you want to make a game something shoots mm -hmm. What was like, was there still like that, like, was it purely like, you know, I'm going to shoot shit and, you know, the, because you said you didn't want to like start with drones, right? Uh, oh no, what I meant was I didn't want to start with, uh, just photo photography or like video like at the time th this was a time when drones were always in the news for like there's a new drone that does this and it was almost all around taking videos like in, oh. in cool ways oh. and um what i meant was like i went into it where i wanted to make it a cool robot that fights mm -hmm. you but uh the world was all talking about drones yeah. and robots should be focused on photography and video yeah. and so um there's a lot of pressure also from like investors and other people mm -hmm. to like you know this is what people are buying it for so maybe it should do that mm -hmm. right so uh taking a chance and doing something that no one else is doing is tricky uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure of the yeah. physical device isn't there like i have to rebuild a new device because it's yeah. supposed to do different things yeah. than what the original ones are for so mm -hmm. Um, you seem like super honest towards like what you want mm -hmm. honest. and it's tough I mean yeah. it's, uh, I, I try to be and I do uh, but it's not easy mm -hmm. I would say that that's for sure like in terms of maybe emotionally like it's not easy to mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's not easy. And it's also not easy to explain. Like, There's no logic behind why yeah. the market all wants to take photos and videos. But mm-hmm. I believe it should be shooting. <laughs> right? There's no, It's not like I have like a great... Yeah. Like, like if you look here, four million people want to like. Yeah. There's no like obvious uh, mm-hmm. thing. So all I can express is just my gut feeling yeah. of like why I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we have six minutes. Okay. But I have like one more like like for real for real. I want to ask you how much of like the robot in the sh- in the shooting drones. How much of that is like this comes from like Star Wars? Like, so, um, so all of our marketing material mm-hmm. came from Star Wars. Yeah. Like that was like the birth of the the how do I explain it? Mm-hmm. So what was missing was yeah. I knew what I wanted to experience, but I didn't know how to explain to people why you would ever want to fight with a robot. Until someone luckily showed me that Star Wars mm-hmm. um, Luke Skywalker training. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is visually exactly what I'm trying to accomplish, essentially. Mm-hmm. is like, I want a robot that trains you, like that you can train with. Yeah. And um, once I added that visual, it was easy for everyone to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, it was very difficult to explain. Okay. So I would say I, my mm-hmm. initial one was just, I used to play Airsoft. Um, with my friends when I was young yeah. and in like a forest and I would sometimes go back to the forest alone and pretend like someone's yeah. fighting with me and I was just like man it would have been sick if there's because there's, like just shooting a target is mm-hmm. just like okay but there's more pressure when something's moving and right. like you you know there's some consequence of it could get you out mm-hmm. that's like hard to mimic if you're just alone mm-hmm. and so for me that's what I was looking for was that feeling of like, wow, this thing is trying to get me and I'm trying to get it. And there's a win condition um, that's beyond just a target. Um, that was for me at my core what I wanted. But the Star Wars visual was like visual, okay. the key to mm-hmm. explaining it to other people. Because okay. um, not a lot of people have played Airsoft or Paintball. So it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. But most people know that Star Wars example. Mm-hmm. And I even made a Star Wars game with a... With the lightsaber where it yeah. shoots and then you block it so if like if it goes a certain way if it does a certain yeah. movement you have to use the lightsaber in a different direction which was fun yeah but it was hard to uh going back i think i would change the way the game would be i think you have to put mm-hmm. some led lights on the front so it's like if this one lights up you have to turn it this mm-hmm. way and if this one lights yeah. up, you have to be straight and something more obvious. But mm-hmm. I was building a demo of it yeah. and it was hard for people to understand the demo, but I coded it. So I knew, yeah. oh, when it does this, I need to go this way. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was actually a really fun like yeah. challenge. Mm-hmm. And that for me was a very compelling experience, too. Mm-hmm. But I think that one, there's a balance like you have so much money and so much time for that one to do really well. I would have had to make a unique sword that vibrates a certain way, yeah. a unique drone that lights up a certain way mm-hmm. and like all that stuff is time and money to mm-hmm. to to build it out to look and feel exactly like that yeah. so i had to also balance of like what's available now what can i leverage yeah i think the only star wars games that i know would like that is it would be like a vr mm-hmm. because like it's extremely difficult to like even make a lightsaber like how do you make a 
It, that it's one's actually pretty easy. It's really? just a, yeah, it's just a string of LED lights, tiny mm-hmm. LED lights that mm-hmm. you turn on or off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually we had, I had sourced, I'd found like a good source for a cheap saber and I made a couple things, but that one didn't end up being the main one we went with. We went with laser tag just because there was a market and there was already someone to buy it. But there's a future in my mind where I also do the like real life mm-hmm. lightsaber against the robot yeah. um, in a way where it could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm. I guess we should wrap up now. Yeah. I hope that was. Uh, yeah. I hope that was okay for you. No. Uh, in terms of stuff, I hope I didn't. I know I went on a lot of tangents there. But. No, it was cool. I mean, I think I like. I mean, I personally learned a lot, um, and uh, I really like the. Uh, like I said, like kind of. I was able to see like the artists, you know, mm-hmm. the artists in you, and that was it was it was cool to like uh, see and understand and like uh, kind of like draw some kind of like inspiration from as well. So you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem. Do you have anything you want to plug or anything? Like, no, that's like, okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Cool.